But take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, and we are his disciples, so therefore he's speaking to us. Do you ever think about the, the Bible was written to me? You ever feel so, so, so like I belong to him, so this is actually his word? Yes, it's to his disciples. Yes, it was at a specific time. But does the Lord have a word for me today on how I should live in this generation? Did God know that we were going to be here today when Jesus spoke these words on top of the mountain? Yes, he knew this. And did he understand that some people would be so interested they would open their own copy of God's word and look into it? Did he know that? And did he also know that the multitudes, much like the multitudes, many people that would hear the word of God would just casually brush it away as nothing important? Did he know that? All right, let's get started. And I'm, I've, each Sunday I talk to different people, but teenagers or anyone that comes to church, and if you're laughing and cutting up and you're writing my, if, I can, if you can see me, I can see you. So I would just encourage you to go ahead and cut the faucet off on that cutting up before church because I will walk down to your seat today and going to tell you to separate or be dismissed or have your parents sit with you or have a deacon sit with you. All right, deacons, are you all ready? I need you to move here in just a minute. I, I got a couple, I believe, that can't control themselves today. But we will do that for them, okay? All right. I want to take God's word today. I want you to look at Jesus. He starts very clearly with the heart of the disciple. Where's your heart? And the Bible is very clear. Whatever comes out of your mouth comes originally from where? Your heart. So what you, what you behold, what is, what is real to you, even if it's your culture, if it's your language, no matter what it is, it comes out because that's who I am and that's where I'm from. We say that often. Uh, I told you I learned the word druthers. Does anybody know the word druthers? A druther from Georgia. My, my old boss, had, he was from Georgia. He said, I'd rather have this if we were going to have it. Druther, what are you talking about? And it means I'd rather have that than this. So druthers, there you go. That's a, that's a two-cent Georgia word for druthers. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but in Georgia, I know that's where it's from, down near the Florida line. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has given instructions to his disciples. He starts in the softest, easiest spot. He puts the cookies, as it were, on the bottom shelf. He starts where it matters most, where all of them can reach in. He started out, as we saw just a couple weeks ago, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it wasn't talking about just poverty, because they're poverty stricken, because they were. The disciples had no money, right? They had, a, they had a purse that Judas kept, but he kept dipping in it and stealing from them. Did you know that one of Jesus' disciples was a thief? On a regular basis, he'd dip in and get his own money for his own stuff. He was very much split-minded. He didn't like the things of God. He wanted Jesus to resurrect, come up to the place of actually being the warrior to lead them away from the, the, the oppression of Rome. These men had in their mind that Jesus was going to come as Messiah and fight for them and be their mighty warrior that David talked about, their shield, their buckler, their wall, their bulwark. He was going to overcome, in their mind, the Roman government. But he wasn't talking about overcoming the Roman government. What was he talking about? He was talking about overcoming sin, death, and the grave, and hell. He was telling them, listen, the kingdom of God has come. How do we know the kingdom of God had come to this time? Because Jesus is king, and therefore wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. Amen? So look at your Bible, if you would. Let's read in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go through verse uh, 6 here. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and by the way, that's such an important part to know. You cannot share truth of Jesus Christ without opening your mouth. If you're deaf, you'll open your fingers that work for your mouth, right? If you're blind, the braille works as an open mouth. But you must, if you're hearing and speaking, you must open your mouth 
to give away the truth. Don't say, well, people just had to watch me and hope they get it while watching me. They'll never get it because they'll see your sinful actions and those things you won't forget. Have you ever made a mistake one time and somebody says, oh, you remember that time when? Or you did something so foolish or so crazy as a young person? I don't know what's going on with me, but we'll find out here in just a minute. Something so crazy, people say, oh, you remember that time? Every time they see you, oh, you're that student. If your old teacher sees you, what does she say? I remember that time in my class, right? What about all the good times I was good? Can I get some credit? Was there any, any credit in that? But we always remember those things, and we remember, and I've told you before, if someone ever tells you a story about me, come ask me, because it's probably worse than they said, right? Because I was that kid. I was that teenager. I was not... Uh, I was not a saint of God by then, by any means back then. Amen? My mother's in the front, so she can amen that, right? But then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's the new heavens, new earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This week, have you ever been so hungry? I, I, this week, I've, I've had uh, uh, different appetites for different things. Summertime comes. Can't wait to the picnic today. Who's looking for what? Vans, I think, is cooking everything up. And they've been cooking since 2 o'clock this morning for us to have barbecue and all the fixings of things that's going with the barbecue today. But you know what the one thing I'm looking forward to? Watermelon. I can't wait to get a hold of a watermelon. Hopefully, it's locally grown. Get into some watermelon today. And uh, that we'll cut those watermelons for fun. We'll probably end up throwing watermelons. So yes, your pastor will act immature after we all are done. There's no reason to throw a good watermelon away and waste it. We might as well throw it at each other and get it in our hair and everywhere else. We will spit watermelon seeds because I'm from the country. So uh, if you're not good at it, just don't complain. Just step out of line. You won't win, all right? And we are engaging those desserts today. So I've seen some pictures of some of the desserts that are coming. So I'm excited about it. But listen, that thirst, that, uh, did, you, did anybody see the, the grill picture up there of all the meat whenever Adrian was making the announcements? That's what everybody was looking at, Adrian, behind your back. It wouldn't look, they wouldn't listen to anything you said. They were looking at that meat smoking. And what happens is that should make you thirsty if you like that kind of food, right? And then we showed the bottle of water. And I was going to bring out the candy cart from school, and, and the kids know what that is. They would all want to partake in the candy cart. And then I was going to bring out a bunch of vegetables and see who wanted the vegetables versus the candy cart. If you had a choice, what do you think children would choose? The candy cart or the vegetables and fruits? The candy cart. Anybody else? Who would choose the vegetables and fruits? Everybody's over age 35, just about. Yeah. And you're probably not telling the whole truth in church, just for the record. If there's a Butterfinger or Twix or something like that. And I want you to see that. Why does that even compare to today's lesson? Because our hunger and thirst, if we're not careful, we can be hungry and thirsty for the wrong thing. We can, we can be hungry and thirsty for the things that are self-serving and self-righteous instead of the things that are holy and righteous towards God. Now, you've heard me say before, things are not wrong. So don't go walk out of here and say, well, Pastor don't want anybody to have anything good. He wants us all to be poor and stricken and walk around with raggedy clothes. That's not what I'm getting at today. I'm talking about priorities. Go to your notes. I want you to see this. This is something that's difficult for us. And I ask the question, how do we as physical beings describe a spiritual desire? Well, we talk about it in different words. We, we take Matthew's words, and he heard Jesus speak, and we, we try to—this was obviously not in English language when it was originally written. And so we try to take words and, and explain how much we uh, care about something, or we say we love. How many people love pizza? 
Anybody who loves popcorn? Anybody loves steak? Anybody love your grandma? See, we all put all the word love. We just broadly spectrum and put it out there. I love ice cream. I love this. And, we, and sometimes it's hard to dif- differentiate between what's happening. What do we truly love? What do we mean? And hear what Jesus speaks about. Watch this. This is one thing we know. Look at your notes. It is natural for man to want to worship. Have you ever been to a major league game or, a, or to a professional football game or soccer game? Anybody ever been to one? You ever seen them on TV? Is that me? Is that this? People paint themselves up. Have you ever seen anybody go, especially like to a Packers game or up north, they paint themselves green, yellow, white, uh, Redskins. Uh, you go to, well, the, excuse me, the Washington football team. Um, all the different things that uh, people do, they'll worship that team. Derek, as a matter of fact, we had to go and get stuff from Ohio. He said, let's get to a Reds game since we're waiting tonight. I'd rather stick my fingers in my eyeballs and go to a Reds game. But we did. Me, Mike, and Derek went to a Reds game, and I fell asleep at one point during the game. I love baseball when my kids are playing. Derek is a baseball fan, obviously. He likes to visit all the different places. Mike does as well. We played. But now that I'm old, my brain just clips it off. But people paint themselves up where all they go to the pro shop, get all the red, all the blue, all the yellow, whatever the team color is, they paint themselves up. Overseas, when you travel, you'll see different people do different things. There'll be people actually who worship nature. They'll go out and worship under trees. When we were in Thailand with McKenzie, uh, we would stop and we would eat on the corner restaurant, uh, just, a, just a small corner restaurant, and watch people come and, and bow and offer incense to whatever God or multitudes of gods that they worshiped. Inherently, people that say they're atheists are not telling the truth. They worship something. They worship their knowledge over the knowledge of a holy God. Because if somebody says, I'm an atheist, that means they've been to the deepest part of the ocean. They've been to the furthest part of the space. They've been up to heaven to see, right? And they've been to hell to find out. And they'll say there is no God. Has anyone ever done that? So that's why the Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, only a fool says in, the heart, in his heart, there is no God. All right, we're going to handheld number that one. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14, 1, look for yourself. God has stated clearly that he is, he said, when Moses said, God, who do we tell him to send me? He said, tell them I am sent you. I used to think about that. How does that work? I am holy. I am all powerful. I am all knowing. I am righteous. All the different things. But look back to your notes. I want you to see this. God put this desire in human hearts. The desire to, uh, pull me down just a little bit. Uh, the, the desire uh, to worship the one true God comes only by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says we become, we are natural men, natural women, meaning we were born from our mother and therefore we're born into sin. We will naturally walk away from God. We will never, ever naturally walk toward God. The Bible says we can't come to him unless he draws us to himself. Do you understand how that works? It's like the children. Some of them are holding on, waiting to go to children's church, and, and then none of them left until I said, okay, kids, let's go to children's church because someone was waiting to receive them. It's the same way for salvation. None of us receive salvation just because we want to. Or I'll do it at revival service in the spring. Or I'll do it next year when I turn 15, 14, 13, whatever it might be. I'll do it then when I get ready. And God's not, listen, he's not going to let you take his place. The Bible talks about God's laughter in heaven, how he laughs at the foolishness of, of mankind. Look at this. Christians are constantly bombarded with things 
our stuff which call for our worship and lead us away from our first love. How can we be called away by things that call for our worship? Worship simply means this. This is your worth-ship. How much is this worth? You ever do that? You ever try to sell something on eBay or you try to sell something on, on one of the social sites? What do you do? Somebody says, how much is it worth? And what is something worth? What a buyer's willing to pay, right? How much are you willing to pay for whatever it might be? Bitcoins, name it, invisible currency, whatever. How much are you willing to pay? How much are you willing to pay for top secret information? How much are you willing to pay? What is the value? The value is whatever someone would pay for it. And I want to challenge you today. Listen, y'all think I beat a, a dead horse, and I do. And our society seems like it's closing down on us left and right. But those mobile devices that we have in our pockets and our purses, those things are showing very clearly to God that they are worth more than he is. That should have been a bit amen there because we spend, watch this, and, and, and let's be honest in church today, non-biblical apps, not music or anything like that, but how much have spent over an hour this week with your phone on something stupid, YouTube video, something irrelevant. Raise your hand. Just watch and see. Let's be truthful with each other in the church. Anybody more than five hours this week? Ten hours? All right, I'm not going to keep going because it goes up until people, we got kids staying up all night watching videos and, and y'all know the triggers and the, and the algorithms change so that you get deeper and deeper into sinful things as you watch. Satan, listen, God's not behind God's not a technology master up in heaven, master in technology. Technology used to be neutral, but now technology is actually bent so it actually leads us far from God. It leads us far from each other. Families, you look in a car and a kid's on his phone in the back, not talking to mom and dad. You look in a restaurant, kids are sitting around playing on their phones, and parents are happy with it because they're looking on their phones too. And it's separating and dividing. We don't even realize it's happening. It's the frog in the kettle, if you will. Y'all know the old story that the frog would jump out if you turn the heat up quick. But if you slowly turn the heat up, that frog would just sit there and eventually he'll be boiled to death. That's what's happening to you and to me, the Christian church. I'm not talking about the world because the world's already gone. They, they bought it. Uh, they love it. And they want it that way. Uh, I'll look at something I want you to, and I made copies in case you want to see this. Let me read this to you. How many of you guys have heard of in the news critical race theory? Well, it's been pounded on every social media channel there is. And this is the, this is the aspect of it. I printed uh, uh, about 25 of these if you want for your family, if you want to talk about it at work. Let me just summarize this. Critical race theory is grounded in several key assumptions, and among these are the following. This is from a Christian writing aspect as well. American government, law, culture, and society is inherently and inescapably racist. Everyone, even those without racist views, perpetuates racism by supporting those structures. If you support law enforcement, you're racist. The personal perception of the oppressed, their narrative outweighs the actions or intents of others. No matter if you're kind, if you're gentle, if you're loving, what's happening is they're getting in, trying to get a message between you and me. And by the way, if you're my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, I'm closer to you than anybody my skin color. Amen? And they're not going to divide me from my friends. No fools up in Washington or any other place that actually spends a lot of money are going to divide me from my friends, no matter what ethnicity my friends are. If you let that get into your head and get into your heart, they'll start, they'll, that's what's happening in Portland and all these different places. Yeah, you're right. I deserve this. In South Carolina, Rock Hill, it's happening. I just called the Rock Hill Police Department and said, listen, y'all keep up the good work. Keep arresting the bad guys who are doing evil. Put them in jail for a long, long time. Get them off the streets. 
Have y'all been keeping up with what's going on? This is what's happening, the righteousness of God. The Bible says the government was put in place to punish evil. In our culture today, we actually say when evil is punished, we say it's racist or it's somebody oppressing me. Oppressed groups will never overcome disadvantages until the racist structures are replaced. This comes from Marxism. Y'all, if you've ever read anything in history, this is trying to upturn and overturn the American way of life. They don't want the family to be together. They don't want a dad and mom together, the unified family. Let me keep reading this, and let me read the summary on this, because this is important to understand righteousness, or you can't play both ends against the middle. Critical race theory entirely violates a biblical worldview, however, by suggesting that people are essentially defined by their race or class rather than by their individual acts and attitudes. If Jesus Christ is your father, that makes me your brother. And I will live with you and I will, listen, I will strive with you hand in hand, do for you whatever I can do, give you my place to stay at my house, give you my food to eat because you're part of my family. No one's going to tell me on social media and other places because if you sit and watch it, you watch it on Fox News, you watch it on whatever, all the other channels, CNN, they continue to say words that divide us and then they show a group of people fighting and it might not even be the right place, the right time. But we of God, listen, the righteousness of God, the righteous people of God, we seek first his kingdom. Listen, all the kingdom people are looking toward the king for the answers. Everyone else isn't looking. Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. So those that are search, uh, serving the world, serving all the, the information that's out today, they're not of our family, y'all, not yet. But what should we do? And we're talking about wisdom in here. There's some practical things we can do, and we pray. As we look at your notes, as we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in Matthew, we see Jesus began with the hearts of his disciples there in 621. What did he say? Go back over to six, uh, verse 621. We'll read more of this in just a moment. But he says this clearly. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Wherever you, whatever you treasure, whatever you value, whatever you put worth into, that's what you're worshiping, and that's, what your, that's where your heart's going to be. You say, well, not me. I just dabble over here or dabble over here. Do you ever just dabble in Scripture? Do you meditate in Scripture? Many people's Bibles don't get picked up from Sunday to Sunday. Many times those few Bibles have dust on them because no one cares to open them up. God is trying to ask his people to do something today that it sounds like it's impossible. Oh, what does God want me to be, a holy roller? Yes. Does God want me to be like set apart? It's called sanctification. The answer is yes. He wants you to be different than those people out there in society. By the way, you were one of those people out there in society before he saved your rotten soul. Amen? And my rotten soul. I was no good, doing no good. I was living in sin. And then one day Jesus called me through the, through the value of preaching. I heard the gospel message and Jesus saved my sorry soul. Right? Because I was destined, I was headed full blast to hell. But he saved me. And then when he saved me, guess what he did? He redeemed me. And he set me apart and he says, now get to work on my kingdom and my righteousness. Do my stuff my way. And you've heard me say it before, if we do it God's way, what happens? We get God's results every single time. With look in your notes, Jesus told us if we want to enjoy the blessing of his spiritual nourishment, you want to be fed by Jesus, we must hunger and thirst after his righteousness. What does that mean? That simply means this. He's where the water is. He's where the bread is. Amen? 
Y'all are looking at me like deer in the headlights, like he's watering bread. Go to John chapter 4. Look at your notes. John 4. Let's turn there quickly together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 1. I can't say it in Spanish. I tried. 1, 4, uh, 5, 7. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Look, John. All right. John chapter 4, verse 7 through 19. Jesus was so practical, y'all, when he taught his disciples. If we would simply read and ap apply what he says, we could have this spirit-filled life, this nourished life that he talks about. John 4, 7. A woman of Samaria, you know this as the woman at the well, as what we've taught in the Bible story classes. A woman at Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? How many people question Christ like that? And he's going to explain, I'm not talking about a cup of water. I'm not talking about a bottle of water. What was he talking about? Let's continue. She asked a question, are you greater than our father Jacob? Answer is, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And all the people said, Duh, right? He told her how she lived. She was a promiscuous woman. She lived five times she'd been married. Well, and then she's living with someone who's not her husband. Every time that Jesus brings you to the fountain of water to drink from the Spirit of God, he's going to say, Get that sin fixed right now. He calls us to repent of our sins. He calls us to change our lifestyle and say, listen, instead of the big man upstairs or the old man upstairs, he's holy God, supreme, looking out over all of creation. His creation, by the way, saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He calls us, he calls us to repent of our sins as sinners who need to be saved. And then he says, as soon as you receive salvation, I have this water that you can drink from that you'll never thirst again. Some of you have drank of that water before. I've drank of that water. Listen, listen, I know forever I'm going to be with Christ. To live here is, listen, it's profitable because we're living, preaching, and teaching Jesus. But to die is gain, the Bible says. We get to see him face to face forever and ever and ever again. Does that catch your attention? Do you understand what Jesus is trying to tell you and me today? He's the resource. He's the water. But not only is he the water, not only is he the resource, he says, if you drink from this water, I will make you a fountain. Listen, what's going to happen is, how many of you guys have ever drank out of water fountains? 
Yeah, some of them, there's some of the coldest water, right? You go drink, a lot of people during COVID, you can't touch it because it's got COVID. I drink of it anyway, right? Because it's cold and I want to quench my thirst. I, listen, when you come to the place at your workplace, in your home, at your school, wherever you might be, and someone says, well, I don't believe that. And you share the word of God clearly. And someone says, I don't believe that. It is not your responsibility to make someone believe that. This is what I just read. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. The Bible says you'll never come to God until he draws you to himself anyway. So it's just an academic statue of coming through here and saying, oh, these are just old, ancient words. Well, I understand you feel that way. I used to feel that very same way. Until the Holy Spirit comes and invites you to come have a drink. When you have a drink of Jesus, listen, you'll never be the same ever again. Amen? Go over to chapter 6 just so you know about the thirst portion, but also about the drink portion, 626. When you're there, say amen. When Mike gets there, he's going to say amen. You have the notes. I'll try to get you ahead of time. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because, remember, he just fed the 5,000. He just, he just finished feeding well, 5,000 plus. You seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Because I gave you physical bread, that's why you want, you want me to be your baker in heaven, right? God, I need this. God, I need that. God, do this. God, do that. He's not your laundry boy. He's not going to run this. He's not Santa Claus. He's holy God. And he says, many people seek, like these people, all you want from me is something. You want me to give you a blessing. But you only want the blessing if it makes you feel good or if it suits your needs. You don't want the blessing that I give by walking in lockstep with me. He continues. Go to 27. Do not labor for the fold which perishes, but for the food, for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do that we shall that we may work the works of God? That's a good question, right? How can we do the stuff that God wants us to do? That's a very valid question. But they answered it with wrong motive. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Believe in whom? Jesus Christ. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform? He just, remember, he just fed 5,000 plus. And they asked for a sign. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate of the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives the life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Mark that in your Bible. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have been, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All, A-L-L, -L, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. You want to know the will of God? Listen to what he says. This is the will of the Father who, who sent me, that all he has given me, I should not lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees God, sees the Son, and believes in him, 
may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. What is the will of God? The will of God is that you hear the word of God and that you receive, listen, when the spirit of God tells you today is the day of salvation, today is the day that you repent of your sins and turn away from your sin, turn away from your old thinking of God, that God's just the old man upstairs, but no, God's the holy, righteous one who created me, who gave me life, who died on the cross for me. He was born, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the God that we serve. That's the God he wants you to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that God came down, Emmanuel, God with us. And why did he come? Matthew, we read, he came to save sinners of which we're such. Back to your notes, if you would. Seeking a right relationship with God gives us spiritual fullness and purpose in life. So many people today have no purpose in life. They're caught up with the wind of whatever's on the news. They're caught up whatever on TikTok or YouTube, wherever it might be. They're caught up just watching and just living in this false narrative that's been put before them, spray painted, right? Spray tanned, whatever it might be, dolled up, configured on the computer, and they count it as real. We'll see this today that he says, seek first a right relationship with God. It'll fill you up and it'll give you purpose in life. Does anybody want purpose in life today? Do you desire, listen, not just to do the same job you did last Friday because Monday's coming? And by the way, Monday's coming no matter what. Y'all know there's no doomsday, right? I believe the Lord's got to come. Rapture of the church. There's seven years of tribulation. And there's a thousand years on the millennial period. Listen, we still got at least a thousand and seven years left if we die today, if the Lord takes us back today. So th tomorrow's not doomsday. So you go to bed with expectations that God's going to do something in your life you read that word of God before you go to bed instead of watching that crazy television show or listening to that podcast, whatever it might be. Go to bed with the word of God on your heart. Wake up in the morning, let him just maturate that in your head and your heart and get up the next morning and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do today, I'm yours. And that spiritual fullness that you ate from the night before will carry you through because God's a good God. Jesus reiterates the importance of seeking him after him and not things of this world in Matthew 6. We should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the stuff that we have need of, he says, will be added to you. He said, well, I need something practical. Can I get a list? And I'm glad you asked that because I asked the same thing. Matthew 6, Jesus, he knows what he's doing because he's God. And he knows how hard-headed we are. Are y'all hard-headed? I find myself just, I know this to be true, and yet I don't do it. So I put down, yeah, thank you. I put down some practical things that we can actually see that I found in the scripture. There are practical ways to seek after God. Here's a practical way. How about giving? Giving to the poor, giving to the needy, taking your excess and giving it away. You say, well, Pastor, I'm saving it for a rainy day. What if Jesus comes back today and he holds you accountable for not giving it away? I'm not talking about just being poor again. Don't, please don't walk out of this church saying, Pastor wants us to be poor and give everything away. I want you to live a great lifestyle. But if you see somebody in need, as Adrian talked about, people sleeping in the park, there's something we as a church collectively, if we, look, I don't know how many people are here today, all in the back, and, but if we took up $5 a piece, which we, most of us could manage, we could help somebody in the name of Jesus. Now, we don't just go give them the money to be full. We're going to give them the gospel first. We're going to take them to the living water, Jesus Christ. We're going to take them to the holy bread, Jesus Christ, and then ask the Spirit of God to save their souls so that they might turn away. If there's any addictions or anything they might have, they'll turn from that sin and turn to Jesus Christ. That's what we ask him for. Amen? So know to do the right thing and not do it, the Bible calls sin. Here's some other practical things. Good deeds. Helping others. 
prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, in Matthew chapter 6, go read it for yourself. You'll be blown away when you see all the things he says in there. Fasting. How many of us are fasting? You ever fast and give your body a break? When you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. It was implied that Jesus intends for you and me to fast. Go look into the list. Seeking heavenly investments. Lord, where can I put this resource so that the kingdom might grow? Don't you want rewards in heaven? If you had to cash in right now and say, today's your calling day, the Lord's going to take you home. Do you have anything up there waiting on you? I mean, I know we got Jesus. Everybody sings about the old Southern gospel. I'm, I'm, I like some Southern gospel songs, but most of them are goofy because they talk about weird stuff that people just make up. And, and many times in Southern gospel, they just wrap up wives' tales and put it together with the Bible. So some I like, but some are, some's just doctrinally not pure. It's not right. Everybody talks about the streets of gold, right? Can I say something to you? Who cares? I mean, I care the Lord, he, the thing that we value the most, the Lord makes pavement out of. But I'm not going to heaven to walk on a street made of gold. That's the least of my concerns. God's not up there with pavement going, hey, hey guys, get them gold pavers hurry. They've got some more people coming. And we used to sing, I've got a match, Sean, right? We always say Sean, over the hilltop. You ever seen that? I've got a match, on. Just over the hilltop. Anybody ever heard that song, sang it? I used to think God and his angels were up there building, like laboring, like Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back for you. So that where I am, there you may be also. I used to think as a kid, Jesus up there with like a brick mason. He got all his angels, he's slopping mortar trying to lay those bricks, because I've got a big old house, how foolish could we be to think that God's built me a big old honking 30,000 square feet matching because it's me, because I deserve it. There's mine, there's my mama's, there's my daddy's, right? We sing those songs because we talk about heaven. I think it started because heaven's so great, and it is great. I can't wait to be there. But God's not up there building with brick and mortar so that you and I might have this big old house to clean when you get to heaven. The Bible says there's, there's no sin in heaven. And if I had to clean a 3,000 plus square foot house in heaven for eternity, there's some mess up there. I don't want a part of that. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a dwelling place for you and me. There's a place in God for me. What does it look like? The answer is, I don't know. But I know there's a place because his word says there's a place. I know he's coming back for me because he says he's coming back for me. I trust him and his word. And sometimes you just have to wait and see. What are you getting for Christmas this year? Anybody started Christmas list yet? I always start early. Y'all don't start early? You don't have any anticipation that Christmas is coming? Well, I'm, we got a sad bunch in here. Sorry. You're satisfied. I look forward to I'm looking for something big. I always tell the kids, I want something big. And I don't really want it. I just say that to them. Mackenzie's my realist. If she says it, if dad says it, she's going to save up all of her money to buy it or try to. And um, recently I told her I wanted a pair of cowboy boots at Christmas. I said, y'all didn't get my cowboy boots. I told you I want them out of Texas to, to Cova's. Is that what they're called? She said, but Dad, those boots are $500 a pair. I said, am I not worth it? I raised you from birth, child. <laughs> you know what that child did? She saved up, and she gave me a Father's Day card with $500 in it. I said, listen, Kenzie, you goofball, I'm too fat to wear boots anymore. I don't want no boots because it hurts my feet. I don't want those boots, and I put the money. I told Wendy, put that money back in her account. And listen, the count, real, the, the, the thought really does count for me, right? She said, Dad, you said you wanted them. I said, I was just messing with you people. 
I don't, see me wearing cowboy boots anymore. I used to wear them uh, uh, occasionally, but to see me wearing them now, whew, that'd be the end of this preacher's legs, that's for sure. It's too much weight pushing down now for cowboy boots. But anyway, just the heart of what she did spoke volumes to me that sometimes you got to be careful what you ask for and who you say it around, right? I don't want cowboy boots. Let's look and see what the Word of God says. There's some practical ways. Let's finish this out really quick. Full attention to his way of living. How about this one? Not worrying. How about the worry words? Raise your hand this morning. Let you walk out of this day saying, Jesus said, do not worry. If Jesus said, do not worry, and you worry, you're sinning against holy God. Trust him. Because half the stuff, or probably more than half, 90% of the stuff that you worry about never happens. Did y'all ever think you get in trouble when you were kids and my mom and dad going to kill me when I get home? I mean, literally thought we were going to die. I did. And I never died. So it's amazing. Finish it up. Studying his word, not just reading it, studying his word. What does this mean to me, Lord? Have you studied the Beatitudes before? Hope you're reading ahead in the chapter, reading behind, going out. Don't just read the Beatitudes in themselves. They're good. We'll learn a lot, but go keep reading and, and see where scripture upon scripture with a study Bible. Study his word, trusting his word and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, go pray for somebody, go tell that person about Jesus. Do this or do that. You say, yes, sir. And you, you're going to be nervous, knots in your stomach. How do I do this? If the Lord told you to do it, he's already prepared the soil for you to plant that seed. Do you understand? And if the Lord tells you to harvest, he's got it already ready. And you just take that harvest, that low, ripe apples. Finally, Jesus is teaching about being joyfully complete. So many people miss joy today. Even in churches, there's sad faces all around. My life's falling apart. My mom and dad, my, name it, it's happening in our society today. It's, if Satan can get a hold of something, he's doing it today. But can we as the people of God just stand up and say, listen, I'll be joyful because he brings me joy. Nobody can do that. Can we say that as the people of God, I will be joyful because he brings me joy. Watch this. Just try this to me. Just stand to your feet for a moment. Try this. And I, I want you to, I know God's everywhere all the time, and if we're in Australia, we, we'd be pointing down. All, all right, I got that. But I want you to point up to, listen, Lord, and just try this. Try, I just tried it but before God and everybody. Lord, Lord. I can be joyful because you bring me joy. Now, let me ask you the question. When you're not joyful, what are you focused on? I got slightly food poisoned this weekend. And I, you, if I'm pale to you, Adrian made fun of me how white my face looked this morning. I shaved my beard this week. I got food poisoned. I, I, I was not joyful. And I even called Mike, get ready to preach. He's the punt preacher is what I told him. So Mike should be preaching. Have a seat. But I want you to know, listen, through it all, I couldn't wait. The devil's not going to stop me from preaching his word today because God wants us to know that we can have joyful lives that are complete in Jesus Christ. you got to hear that today. We'll go through those tough times. We'll go through those valleys. But what do we do? Go back to your list. Pray. You give. Do good deeds. Fast. Seek heavenly investments. Spiritual vision. Lord, I want to meditate on this. I want to think about this. Help me to be like this man, Jesus. This God man, Jesus. Finally, we can look into the last book of the Bible and see where Jesus warned the self-satisfied church in Laodicea of their sinful state. This is where I see churches today in Town Creek, we're, we're, we're creeping this way if we're not careful. He canceled the church to open the door and let him come in to his rightful place. He wanted them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They wanted the pleasures of life. 
And that's when we say, dear God, don't let that be us. Go to Revelation chapter 3. We'll close with this scripture. Church, this was a hard hit for the church of Laodicea. And they didn't even care. This church in there, well, it's the remnants are there. This is a sad, sad commentary for us today. Let me read it. Revelation 3, verse 14. Please, everybody look at this and see. This is, it's talking to the church collectively, but it's talking to the individuals. If he says anyone, any person, he's talking to you and me. Listen. And to the angel of the church, y'all there? Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. This is Jesus speaking. I know your works. By the way, church, can you look at me for a second? He knows your works today. He knows what you've been doing this week. He knows where you've been spending your time. He knows where your investments have been this week. He knows your works. He tells the church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Does that sound like something that loving Jesus would want to do for me and you? What's he saying? If we won't stand for Jesus, we'll amen him on Sunday, but we'll live like the devil Monday through Saturday. He says, you make me want to vomit. Is that powerful for you? And this is me when I read that going, Lord, please, I don't want to be that person. Dear God, don't let me be a Laodicean. I don't want to be that person, Lord. Forgive me. He continues. Verse 17, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The Lord rebukes and chastens his children. Therefore, be, set, be zealous. Two things for you to do today. This is the call for you and me today. Be zealous. And what's the other word? And repent. Repent means to turn your, away from your sin. Turn back to God as you know who he is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, this is not to lost people. Billy Graham uses this for lost people, but truly and truly, this is speaking to the church. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears the voice that opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me. On my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, we got to listen up. The Lord's speaking today. The Lord's knocking on our front door saying, let me in. If you let me in, not only will I give you food, the bread of life, not only will I fill your thirst and give you of living waters, but I will come in and eat with you. I'll be with you to carry you through. Does that get you excited about anything of knowing that he's the one that provides everything? He created me, he saved me, and he wants me to be with him in communion. He wants me to spend time with him. He wants me to meditate with him. He wants me to love him, and he wants to love me back. What an awesome God we have. Jesus wants us to pursue righteousness, not self-righteousness. Because you see people walk around with their chest poked out thinking, I'm somebody. You know that person is seeking self instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my question. Can you hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak to you today? Have you heard the Spirit of God saying, listen, you need to change your ways. 
You've heard a preacher preach on the radio and television, in here, in church, in Bible study. You've heard a preacher say, listen, you need to change your way. And it's just like God himself is saying, change your way. Are you listening to what the Lord is saying? Can you hear Jesus speak with you today? And what do you need to repent of to get right with God? Is there a sin you need to lay down so that you can be right with God? Church, listen, I'm asking you as individuals. I'm not just asking a collective group. Is there a sin in your life you need to lay down today so that you can be right with God? It might be the sin of rebellion. God, I don't want you in my life. I'm hurt. Listen, he can forgive that as well. He's big enough. He's God. Does he already know our thoughts? Does he know our sins? And he tells us as believers, especially if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last question on your notes. Are you enjoying a complete and joy-filled life with Christ? Anybody? Are you doing that? I am. Do I have bad days? Do I fail God? I do and I have to run back to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry I did the wrong thing again. Why? What's wrong with me? It's because my flesh wars against the Spirit of God. But the Bible, he's in the correcting business, the Lord says, the Bible says. So I challenge you today, listen, as we get ready to go eat a feast this afternoon at the picnic, first ask you to spiritually dine on the Lord's Word today and feast from the Spirit of God. If he's told you something, he's put his finger on a sin in your life. I don't care how old you are. You could be a young person knee-deep in sin. If God has touched you and said, that is sin, I want you to take care of that sin, you can be the oldest senior adult as well and still have a sin in your life. You can be a college student, whatever you, wherever you might find yourself. If the Lord puts his finger on that sin, say yes to what he says yes to and confess it right away. Repent of that sin and confess it before him because he's waiting and he's watching for you to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. I do so thank you that you love us and care for us. Lord, we know that you have a plan for our life and it's a joy-filled plan. Father, you don't call us just to walk around with sad, pruned faces. Father, help us be the people of God who love you and want to put you first. And Lord, you give us practical steps. How do we put you first? Let us act, use those as action steps in our lives. Anybody here that's not saved today, they don't know they're going to heaven when they die, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, anyone that here that's a mediocre Christian, they're playing both ends against the middle, standing in the middle lanes. Lord, before they get ran over, would you, would you correct them and let them confess their sins and come back to you holy? Whatever work needs to be done, whatever prayers need to be prayed today, Lord, I pray we would do that in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.